welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, the dawn of cinema. This week, 1899. Uh, I am... Host number one, Chris Ellie, a film projectionist, and uh, sitting across the computer for me is host number two. I am host number two, Glenn Covell, <laughs> film uh, film person, filmmaker, and and enthusiast. Yes, as we all are. Um, otherwise, why would you be listening to a podcast like this? Indeed. So yeah, uh, this is our fifth year. Uh, of wow. making this podcast we've been doing this podcast for five years right? well wait is it five <laughs> yeah oh, okay 1895 sure. six seven eight nine five years oh good yeah right because never mind i i can do math yeah it's a it's, a, it's all right um uh yeah i actually uh spring in this on you because i didn't discuss this earlier but uh do you have any reflections on uh on the last, the, this, on the this last five early, years, the first five years of film history, um, I definitely learned a lot watching these. Um, I hadn't seen most of them. I think I'd seen a grand total of maybe three from the five, like three films total of like out of the I don't know how many dozens scores that we've seen by now. Yeah. Definitely um, over overdoing it a bit at the beginning here. Well, and and just there are so many things that are like pretty significant innovations or sort of turning points. I don't say turning points, but like very innovative things that I had never seen or sort of even heard about. Um, yeah, so it was, it's, it's was cool to cool. see. It's cool to see people like really experiment. People like Melies like really experimenting with the form very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised by how much progress was made within just a couple of years, um, which is good for the yeah. podcast because otherwise it would be extremely boring. Because <laughs> um, I don't know, I feel like you know, the, the, if you look at something like video games, um, from from the very earliest ones to something of a somewhat like real level of complexity, it's like ten years or something like that. Mm. Yeah. And that's pretty quick, I think, for a, like an evolving art form. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I mean, um, that, that complexity I'm talking about is just like Pac-Man or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, what was the point I was going to make? Uh, you can definitely see the kind of evolution from it being kind of more of a scientific and um, like novelty thing. It's like, oh, look, it's like a picture, but it moves. Ooh. Yeah. To people like Melies just going whole ham and like, no, we can tell stories with this. We can have, we can do magic with it. We can create things that you wouldn't be able to do in any other medium. Yeah. Specifically things that you couldn't do in another medium because he was a magician beforehand, but now he is literally doing magic with the medium of film, which I yeah. think is really cool. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> so much so much potential anyway <laughs> uh yeah i think i think in this year we uh have seen a lot more advances um we're starting to see these advances that have been being made solidified into the actual film form mm-hmm. but before we get to talking about 
before we get to talking about the movies this week, why don't you bring us up uh, up to speed on the news of the year 1899. The news of the year 1899. Spanish-American War comes to a close with the Treaty of Paris. Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines are ceded to the U.S., but the Philippine Republic doesn't go without a fight. The Philippine-American War begins. The great Arctic outbreak of 1899 blankets the country in feet of snow and sub-zero temperatures. Outlaw woman Pearl Hart conducts one of the final stagecoach robberies ever recorded. The paperclip is invented. Mile a Minute Murphy earns his name by becoming the first man to complete such a feat on a bicycle, drafting behind a Long Island Railroad train to gain speed. Alfred Dreyfus is finally pardoned, bringing an end to the whole sordid Dreyfus affair. X-ray, X-ray. Newsboys go on strike. Joseph Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst increase bulk newspaper prices, and the little tykes fight back. Scott Joplin releases the maple leaf rag, ushering in a new ragtime genre of music to the country. The Bronx Zoological Park opens in New York City. Four-month-old Sobazer II becomes the king of Swaziland, who will rule until 1982, the longest of any monarch. As we near the turn of the century, we say goodbye to the 1800s. Goodbye, friends, and see you in the next century. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn, for the news update of 1899. You're welcome. Oh. Sorry, I I was still in it for a minute. Oh, yeah. You had the whole... I don't know how you did that with your voice. Um... The end of an era. The end of the first era of film. Indeed, yeah. And also a bunch of other stuff, but who cares about history? I know we just read history, but I mean, yeah, who cares? Yeah. Um, so, uh, we'll start off with our guy, right? Our main guy. Yeah. Georges Méliès. Georges Méliès? Méliès? Méliès. Oui. Because, like, you know, he's other, you know, he didn't invent the cut, as we saw last week, mm. um, but he is the one who is really just taking all of these things and pushing them to their extremes, if not inventing new things. Yeah. He's he's definitely, I think, the the king right now, in terms of people making movies. No one's really doing stuff quite like he is. Um... So what, uh, besides the kind of obvious ones, uh, were, were there any small-scale Melies films that um, jumped out at you this year? Um, hmm. Oh, uh, uh, Pillar of Fire. Yeah. Uh, was a fun one. Um, if, if for no other reason than it was a, a sort of stealth serpentine dance movie. That was so surprised when I saw that. Me too. I was, I was like, oh, it's going to be another Georges Méliès uh, conjuring movie. And then all of a sudden he conjures a serpentine dance lady. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like, you know, the serpentine dance genre is evolving. Like now there's a whole sort of like plot and backstory. Right. We, we yeah. know where she's serpentine dancing, possibly even why. Yeah, so some some magician or whatever has summoned her out of out of a cauldron. And the cool thing actually is that she starts off doing a regular serpentine dance and it's in, it's in color, it's hand painted. And uh toward like the second part of the serpentine dance, uh she uh gets like her her dance gets kind of more like red and fiery. Um and 
kind of demonic because he can't resist making everything demonic. Um, <laughs> even even a dance. God just loves loves some spooky, scary stuff. He loves he loves demons. He loves imps. Like like literally, it would yeah. be strange to see one of his movies without some little imp in it. <laughs> <laughs> there, although there were a few, probably yes, the indeed. the most notable notice noticeable notable mm-hmm. films that he did this year were impless. Uh, we'll get to that. I beg okay. to differ about one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought another another good one is one of his, I think it was two or three minutes long, The Devil in a Convent. That um, was a fun one, for yeah, sure. Yeah, which, it's it's like... A lot of imps in that one. A lot of imps, tons of imps. The, uh, the, the devil rides on a frog. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good time. I mean, I think... With these movies, uh, I mean, we're going to be focusing more on Melies's more substantial movies than his just kind of simple trick films. But he's really, really solidifying his uh, substitution splices and his effects to the point that they're like nearly seamless right now, if not completely seamless. Um, I think I think a lot of his trick films ended up looking really, really good this year. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Well, because he's he's combining a lot of different stuff now. Because he's he's not just doing the substitution splices. He's doing like double exposure. He's doing sort of like yeah. fade and defocusing effects to kind of blend them all together into more. They're they're getting so complex now that it's it's less sort of like oh I see how he did that and it is starting to be a little bit like wait what what's yeah, going on yeah. here? <laughs> um, um, he's got people uh, transforming in midair. Yeah, um, there was one I, I actually forget which one of these it was, but that he, um, uh, I think he was playing. He was himself as a magician, and there, he had like a translucent um, cloth that he kind of hid himself behind, and he threw it in the air, and then he disappeared from behind this like partially see-through cloth. And I was like, "Wait a second, how do he do that?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I think that I think that the the action in it is is super uh, super clear, super uh, the I think with a lot of the stuff the story is a little hard to parse, but this one is pretty uh the action is told visually in a really in a really uh nice way. Um where what is it? There's some people in a convent and then a uh, a devil uh, the devil appears well he Um, he also disguises himself as i guess a minister yeah which is kind of a fun trick yeah yeah and then he like pretends to be the minister he calls over the 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 nuns or whatever and then while he's in the middle of doing a little sermon he pops back into the devil and and scares them and (laughs) scandalizes them with his devilry (laughs) um and then as they run away he just like opens a portal to hell and just calls all of his <laughs> friends in to party. It's so good. <laughs> I do like how, uh, according to Melier, it's like the devil's whole thing is he kind of just wants to scare people and party. <laughs> like, those seem to be his main goals. Um, which, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah. I think, I think, um, yeah. I think, uh, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and... For like a very simple trick film, I thought the mysterious knight, K N I G H T, um, 
was uh, was a good one. Um, that one uh, did a combination of double exposures and substitution splices. It, it, it it's like a this guy who is drawing a head on a chalkboard, and then he makes the head appear as real, and then uh, he is able to like kind of put the head on top of objects including like stabbing it with a sword and just like having it kind of <laughs> ha 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 like move its mouth around while it's impaled on the sword but then like picking it back up and turning it um back into a chalk drawing and stuff and using it tossing it back and forth um it's neat because like he needs a black background to do the double exposure um, and so having the chalkboard there as the way that the head is summoned into being is a really nice way of having that convenient black background. And the other place where you see the moving head double exposure shenanigans is in front of like a darkened fireplace. And so they, they're unlike the Santa, not the Santa Claus, that's from the 90s. <laughs> um, unlike, what is it called? Santa Claus? It's just called Santa year. Claus. Yeah. Um, uh, it doesn't need to have this big wash of blackness in front of it. He's like confining the, the the places where he needs to do the double exposures to exactly where they are happening, um, which is a, a good a good use of the the trick. Yeah, Mysterious Night I think was one of the more impressive like trick films, and yeah. the the chalkboard thing really stuck out to me because I think some of the other ones had they had the black background, but it wasn't really integrated into the set as well, mm-hmm. so it was a bit more you could kind of tell what they were doing a bit more with like the, sometimes the background would kind of just change. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, they, they figured it out. They saw that and they, you know, George thought I can do better. I'll put a, I'll put a chalkboard back there. Yeah. It's, it's clever. Um, and there was this, um, it, th- though in that one more than, Maybe more than in the others, I could see like the kind of ghostly image of the head that of the body that was being like <laughs> su- that was supposed to be invisible, <laughs> but it was just kind of showing up because of the double exposure process. Yeah. Um. But well done, well done, Meliers. Indeed. Um. Speaking of him doing well, though, my oh, goodness, boy. he had some he had some doozies this year. Oh yeah. Uh, which one do you want to do first? Um, well, I think I think we should start with the one that I'm pretty sure was made first, or at least shown first, which is mm-hmm. the Dreyfus Affair. Yes. Very hot-button, topical film, or film series, I should say. Yeah. Um, we alluded to this in the news segment, uh, but the Dreyfus Affair was a, a big deal in France at this time. Um uh in in short i guess uh because that this kind of context is needed to understand the movie um uh there was a guy named alfred dreyfus who was uh a kind of high-ranking military guy who was jewish and he was accused by some other people uh, in the military of writing a, a of like being a spy for the german army um and he didn't do it, um, but they uh, they had him write a, a handwriting sample and matched it to a letter that was sent to the Germans. And based on that, they sent him to a prison on an island. Devil's uh, Island. Devil's Island. 
<laughs> great name for a, a prison island. And uh, and there was so much complexity, and this case was so high profile. I mean, I can't really uh, go into every aspect of it, but essentially there were all of these... It became such a media sensation that there were all of these pro-Dreyfusards and anti-Dreyfusards, and uh, they were not fond of each other. And the anti-Dreyfusards were some of the uh, proto-fascists of France, um, and the or the anti-Dreyfusards were, um, and the pros were people like Melies. Um, who wrote this, who made this pretty sympathetic film series um, about the entire thing, um, which was meant to be sort of a docudrama of a current, at that time, current event. Yeah, it's sort of um, a sort of continuation or sort of building upon some of the films he had done, I think, in 1898, which were about the Spanish-American War, sort of dramatizing current events and to kind of create newsreels for things that no one had any footage of sort of yeah. reenactments of, of things in the news. Um, but these are definitely a bit more in depth, a bit more dramatic. Um, there's, I think originally there were 11 individual films, but only yes. nine are sur- surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, it was originally 13 minutes long. So I think it's, 11 now yeah um and yeah it's it's each individual film is uh kind of its own scene with its own set um depicting a different part of this big complex story that was happening in the news and this is all like very sober and dramatically acted yeah um weird for Melies. (laughs) Weird for Melies, I think weird for just any film that I've seen from this time. This is the first movie That's I've true. seen, uh, like, proper dramatic acting happening. Yeah. That is, like, beyond just, like, pantomime, like, big, like, ooh, I'm crying, or, like, oh, I'm scared. Right. It's, like, there's, like, real kind of sobering scenes of, I mean, there's a suicide in this film. Yeah, there's, a like, kind of graphic one. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's blood, there's, there's, uh, like, uh, a fight in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the longest part of the movie is a two-minute-long courtroom segment where he, where Dreyfus is attempting to defend himself, um, and there's no dialogue or anything like that. It's, it's just, uh, they're, they're telling the story a little bit through the visuals, but most of what you're seeing is just some people having a dramatic argument in in a courtroom <laughs> yeah i had to read descriptions of each one because without knowing the sort of very kind of current details of each one i wasn't really always sure what i was looking at um, yeah um so did i and i mean apparently i don't know if this is specifically what they were made for or how they were most often shown but i know at least in some cases they were shown with a sort of like running commentary with uh people with, with a presenter talking about what is happening in the scene Mm. Um, oh interesting and so these uh uh these people who were uh so one one aspect of this movie is that it is oft reported although not fully confirmed that it is the first film to ever be censored 
Um, and where that seems to have come from is these people who were there describing the events were witnessing fights breaking out between anti-Dreyfusards and pro-Dreyfusards in the audience. And these films caused so many fights because this was such a hot-button issue uh, of whether to be uh, anti-Semitic or not. Um, <laughs> that uh, that uh, a number of theaters might have had to stop playing the movie. Um, and actually, uh, unrelated to this, but um, all th- because it still continued to be such a, a thing... Um, all films about the Dreyfus affair were banned in France, actually banned from 1915 to 1950. Um, which, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I mean, I think, um, I mean, a lot of these sort of individual films would be pretty impressive, but I think for their kind of, um, their dramatic weight and kind of just for their production value, but definitely taken as a whole. Um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. I think, I think yeah. this is the first, um, like film serial to be shown in sequence. We talked a little bit about other sort of film serials that were not always shown in sequence or sort of would be package deals of like, you could, you know, theaters would show a few of them, but not mm-hmm. all of them. I'm pretty sure this is the first time there was ever a a proper film serial that was sold as a as a complete package and intended to be shown as sort of a singular piece or as a sort of sequential um thing. I read that the pieces could be bought individually. Hmm. Um but um maybe they were intended to be shown together. I saw that the, that each each part was sold for $9.75 each. Um. <laughs> Which, in 1899 French money, was probably a, a chunk of change. I don't know. I've, I've, I have not looked that up. Melies <laughs> <laughs> uh, being Melies, he still has to put some effects in there. There's a cool scene of a, a boat arriving at, on a stormy night that has some, some cool double, double exposure lightning. Yeah, it. I mean, it is still kind of cartoony, uh, which is odd for this film series. It is a bit, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it feels like something out of his like spooky castle movies. Yeah, um, <laughs> and we're supposed to be taking this very serious, like current event yeah. of this guy who's been wrongfully imprisoned. Um, and then there's some spooky lightning. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Melies plays. Uh, so some people so at times he has said that he was trying to be as even-handed as possible with this documentary but or not documentary with this docudrama mm. um but uh there are some things that indicate i mean just from the the way the movie is presented and the sympathy with which Dreyfus is presented i think that um Melies was taking a stand there and also he was he cast himself as Melies's lawyer who at one point uh is uh was attempted what had an attempted assassination on him yeah um he was shot in the street yes <laughs> and at least if you trust the way that Melies depicted it everybody walked by and did not did not <laughs> tend to this man that was dying in the street <laughs> yeah i don't know if that part 
how uh, how accurate that part is. But Probably not. It is. It's a pretty dramatic scene. I mean, yeah. Melies is definitely he's known for his much more kind of fun, lively stuff, and this is just a scene of a guy getting shot in the street and then left. Yeah. There. Um. And this was, I think, one of the more impressive movies, if if taken as a whole, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the most impressive things that I've seen so far. Um, yeah, me too. I mean, if you throw some title cards in there, like that, that makes a fully coherent story that is fairly gripping at points. Yeah, and I mean, like the um, the big fight in the courthouse is like a whole room full of people just kind of breaking out into a brawl which is always just dramatic to see like it doesn't matter if it's black and white and silent and shot from a single angle like it's there's people kind of spilling out towards the camera and kind of almost covering the the lens at times Mm. um especially that at the end of this sort of like long uh especially without dialogue somewhat dry just kind of courtroom scene um that definitely made a made a splash. Um, I think the movie did make a pretty. It was a pretty big deal when it was released. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. Um, it was uh, not necessarily as much compared to the movie we're about to talk about, but it made a big, spl- as you said, it made a big splash. Mm. Um, and uh, it was a bit of an inflection point, as, as this story already was. Yeah. Um Yeah. Cool movie. Yeah. Cool movie, bro. Um cool movie number 2 <laughs> is uh, Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> it is the 1899 Cinderella the uh the first fair first fairy tale i don't know if i feel confident about saying that um but I don't know, there was there was the cabbage patch uh oh. kids movie that uh we see <laughs> guy blanchet made um that that's a lost film but i think that counts it feels okay so this feels very fairy tale like it uh, does well yeah. it is a fairy tale but like mm-hmm. i feel like it really sells it you know it th- this movie um it, it 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 feels whimsical and coherent in a in a way that uh and and it feels like a, a a coherent narrative in the way that not a lot of other stuff has to this point i mean we all know the story of cinderella um but it tells it so confidently yeah um maybe it's because i'm just more familiar with the story of cinderella but this was easily the most like coherent storytelling i've seen Mm-hmm. from a film so far um also this thing is like you know dreyfus affair was like individual films that add up to this like longer serial this is a sing was made and intended to be a single film was shown as a single film and it's five yeah. minutes i think it's the longest single film we've watched and well, it's besides got besides the the boxing matches. oh yeah, that, does, that doesn't count <laughs> um and it's got multiple scenes in one film yeah, uh, there are six scenes, I believe, and five different sets, yeah. uh, which is wild. Um, and uh, this is also... The thing that this is the first to do is the first film to have a dissolve. 
in it or dissolve between scenes. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think that dissolve is done so effectively. Um, it's, it's at the end of the first scene. So the fairy godmother has gotten Cinderella all uh, ready to go to the ball. Uh, she walks off the stage and then the fairy godmother disappears. And then you, you kind of dissolve into the, um, into the party and you see people dancing and it really like sells the time passing, which is a sort of a new concept of time passing between shots. Mm. Um, and, right. yeah. and, and it sells the kind of like dreamy, uh, uh, you know, motion in the story, I think. Yeah. Um, oh man. What, what, what else to say about this? I gotta go back to my notes. Um, I was just pulling out the, the movie again to watch the dissolve. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely, I think it's one of the more, um, maybe also the most kind of ambitious single film that, yeah. We've seen so far. I mean, it's got a big cast, it's got lots of extras, it's got dancers. Um it's such kind of a this like big lavish production. Um yeah. it's got dancing clocks. Um This is this movie is another case by the way where he can't resist putting imps in it. Right. Because yeah. because uh normally when the so so she's at the party and the clock is about to strike midnight we all know how in cinderella she can't stay at the party past midnight because that's her bedtime (laughs) and uh and as the clock is getting near midnight i believe it's meliès himself um is like it just jumps out of a clock and right and he's wearing like a little imp costume a sinister clock imp appears (laughs) He plays a sinister clock imp, and he he just holds a big clock and dances back and forth, and goes like, "Ah, your time's coming," <laughs> and uh, and uh, he can't resist. He and can't then resist. and then a whole room full of clocks starts dancing. Yeah, she gets she gets back, so she runs out of the frame. the The prince finds her slipper, and they kind of hold on that moment in a way that is also, I think, kind of good storytelling. You gets at the emotions going on, right? Mm. He she she runs away and, and then he just kind of like holds the shoe and looks off in the distance. Um and it goes back to her house. And I don't understand what the idea with the clocks is here, unless it's just some kind of clocky nightmare that she's having. Uh because she is already back, but then a bunch of clocks start dancing in, in her house. Right, I, she's just afraid of the concept of time at that point. Mm. May, mayhaps, <laughs> um, yeah. It it that's the one part that feels a little bit like it's being a maybe a bit overindulgent. I guess. <laughs> just... I found it fun. I mean, oh, me too. But I love. I didn't it. really know what the point of it was. <laughs> um. Yeah. What a what a picture. What a picture. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and you know it has some cool like transformation effects with the carriage and the mice and everything like that. Right. Yeah. Um, the the mice were were fun. Yeah. Um, how there's like sort of like little, almost like cardboard cutout mice that then mm-hmm. turn into people crawling that then stand up. Yeah, they they turn they turn from little mice to human sized mice to little people crawling to fancy boys who drive a carriage. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
the proper, you know, sequence of mouse to fancy boy. <laughs> the earliest... No, that can't be. The earl- I was going to say, like, the earliest Sailor Moon transformation sequence, sequence from a mouse to a man, but... Uh... This we've might done, be... We've done transformations. Have we done mouse to man, though? Probably not. Okay. Um, film A film first. The first mouse to man transformation. Yeah. Hey, a, that's... A, a movie staple from here on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but this is... This is probably my favorite movie that I watched for this year. Yeah. Um, The Dreyfus Affair is really cool, but it's also a little... Um, it's kind of a downer, know, man. It's a downer. Um, it's, yeah, it was made before Dreyfus was acquitted, uh, so it did not actually have that part, and so it just ends on a downer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also, I mean, the Dreyfus affair is like the individual kind of scenes are really impressive and sort of ambitious, but I feel like overall, I don't really feel like I got a better sense of what happened. Like I don't yeah. really it there's sort of it's sort of uh dramatizing all of these sort of individual events, but without a sort of real understanding of what all those events mean together and sort of you know, everything all the sort of stuff surrounding them, I had to do a lot of additional reading to even really understand what each of the scenes were. Yeah, same. Um whereas Cinderella is kind of again, like I'm loosely familiar with the story already, but it even without that, I think it's it's pretty clear. Maybe not all the rules of the like time limit of you know the the pumpkin carriage and things, but it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. It's simplified to a degree where it it plays in just this this sort of silent kind of stagey way. Yeah. Uh, well, so Cinderella, we're, we kind of. I believe it came out close to the end of the year. Um, and something that happened earlier in the year, which was uh, a kind of further solidification of uh, the, this new idea of edits, was The Kiss in the Tunnel mm. by George Albert Smith. Um, a, uh, a a daring combination of two genres. Yeah. <laughs> the kissing genre and the train genre. <laughs> um. So, this is apparently the first use of a number of scenes to tell one narrative. So, like, three scenes. So, a train enters a tunnel. Uh, it starts off as a regular Phantom Ride movie. Um, uh, <laughs> a light, like, um, uh, like the Pillar of Fire, this is a stealth one one old-timey genre movie yeah. inside of another old-timey genre of movie. So it starts out as a Phantom Ride movie. You're on a train. It's going... It's heading into a tunnel. And then as it goes into a tunnel, it cuts to a shot in studio uh, segment of some people on a on a set that looks like a darkened inside of a train car. Kind of a, a then, flat backdrop of a, yeah. of a train compartment. Um... And then they uh, take advantage of the darkness and smooch. And then uh, it cuts back out again. In a very uh, kind of um, 1899, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, what's the right word? I don't know. It's very pantomime Yeah. And 
it's playful and big. Yeah. Um, and when they're done, it cuts back out again, uh, and, uh, back to the, back to the Phantom Ride view, and you see the train exiting the tunnel and, and continuing on, and presumably they, uh, they quit their, their shenanigans. Yeah. (laughs) They, they can no longer smooch while in daylight. No. They're like vampires. Yeah. Um, uh, George Albert Smith made that film i think that's his only at least his only surviving film from this year mm-hmm. um who we've talked about before who makes a lot of silly uh kind of comedic movies yeah and he and you know he's also a, a pioneer of certain storytelling methods like he was with santa claus last year right yeah um yeah because this is i think the only really cuts we've seen before are in documentaries which aren't really they're not really continuity cuts they're sort of cutting around to different yeah camera angles narrative cuts yeah. and then there was the uh come along do which was just right. inside outside whereas this is sort of train goes in the tunnel we see inside the train and then we cut back outside the train which yeah. is a Un- bit more unlike come along do where the scenes don't really have too much to do with each other yeah like this is actually using the cuts to tell part of the story. Yeah. Exactly. Um, because, because it, as you move toward the tunnel and then it zooms into the train to show you what is happening inside. Now that the mm. train is in the tunnel and then it zooms back out again to give you the greater context once more. Yeah. Uh, so, so like the two environments that are in the movie are informed by each other, which is, uh, more than you can say for come along do yeah yeah that was pretty those scenes didn't really need each other (laughs) all right i guess the (laughs) the surviving outside scene nothing really happens um something that i read too about this is that uh it was it was intended to be hot swappable with any train movie so they actually like let people cut the kissing scene out so they could put it into <laughs> any other train going into a tunnel phantom ride uh and and just customize the movie to their liking wow uh that's something that doesn't really exist anymore i guess <laughs> put, the, put the scene anywhere it doesn't matter um it was remade in the same year mm-hmm. by a different filmmaker james bamforth which I guess that combines the kissing and train pulling into station genres. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> it was three. It was. It started out as a phantom ride, then the kissing genre, and then a. Sh- it didn't go back to the phantom ride. It went to a side view of the station as the train arrives. Right. Um. Pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's the the train car set. I guess is a little bit more realistic. There's a bit more smooching happening. Um. But I, I think it's we we talked a little bit about how everyone's kind of copying off each other, and I think it's funny that the same year someone's just like I I I got this. Well, I got, not just I got that, that. Also, that same year, uh, James Bamforth made the Biter Bit. Which oh, is a right. Rip, which is a rip off of the Sprinkler Sprinkle. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, James Bamforth really not the most original filmmaker working. Uh, Nineteen ninety nine, <laughs> apparently. Um. Uh, what else we got to talk about? Um, we watched some Lumiere Brothers pictures. Yeah, yeah. They're still doing stuff. 
they're doing they're they're mixing in their uh their actualities with uh some somewhat light trick films and and uh effects films and whatnot um I, as far as their actualities i really like that one uh lancement du Varese? i don't know <laughs> that it was a it was another ship launch film that, oh uh, yeah Lancement de Varese à Levon. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, although that that rush of water as the ship landed uh, uh, freaked me out a little yeah. bit. I was like, oh no, not really, again. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does sort of strike a different chord knowing what um, the other one. Um, it's really cool though. Like the boat. I mean, like like their 1896 boat launch movie. Uh, it's really imposingly huge yeah this this ship it gives a Uh, real good sense of the scale of it yeah and this one's on like a three-quarter angle of the train of the the boat going away and to the right Mm -hmm. uh from the frame uh yeah just a cool actuality um yeah they had uh they had one um of sort of a, a jousting tournament which took me a bit off guard i wasn't really familiar with uh, French jousting happening in 1899, but apparently it was maybe there was a Ren Fair happening. <laughs> I didn't see that one. <laughs> um, uh, oh, there's um, Parade of Flowered Automobiles, which is pretty notable mm-hmm. as far as I can tell for being the first movie to show someone filming a movie on screen. Meta. Yeah. The first movie about making movies. <laughs> you could say, although <laughs> I saw someone saying, um, uh, I think maybe on Letterboxd uh, about about that movie is that the Lumieres had established their um, their angle, their their beloved angle of just things moving across the frame and to the left mm-hmm. uh, toward the camera vaguely. That you can see yet another person, like assumedly some uh, just random other guy who was filming a movie in front of them also using that same shot. Oh, interesting. I had assumed it was like one of their other camera people. It could be. Yeah. Um, who knows? That is funny to think that it's just some other guy with a camera who's trying to horn in on their, their patented angle. <laughs> They're like, Hey, we got the, get we, out of here. <laughs> we got the Lumiere angle. <laughs> um, there was a few that were shot in Vietnam. Um, one of which, called Smoking the Opium, was maybe the darkest thing I've seen on film. That was sad. Far. So sad. So dark. Whoa, it's, Nelly. It's literally just like some, some like two, two people who are uh, almost incapacitated on the ground, and they're like loading up an opium pipe and smoking from it, and they just look sad yeah they don't they don't look they don't look good at all it is it is i think easily the most sort of like intense like picture of of human suffering that has been captured on film up Hmm. to this point wow yeah i mean that's a benefit of the lumiere style i would say over a, a, a more fictional melier style i mean we're impressed with um we're impressed with George Melies making the Dreyfus affair as a pretty sober, serious thing, um, but it's still stagey to a degree, yeah. and it's still uh, a little set up. And this is literally just 
a, a grim portrait of reality. Yeah, and reality it is sort of like the Dreyfus affair for the time is very dramatic, but uh, you know, compared to a dramatic film now, it's it's you know it's nothing. It's like this old goofy thing. Yeah. Um, whereas this film is just reality is is still sad. <laughs> Right. Like reality back in 1999 was still tragic and kind of uh, just yeah sobering. I think is probably a good good t- word for it. Yeah, and I mean opiates that uh, that reaches out into today, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, they also had some cats doing tricks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know Lumiere is really trying to get get everyone. Yeah, yeah, they were shooting hundreds and hundreds of movies. They were just doing all the stuff that they could, really. Yeah, I mean, I tried to watch a lot of their movies from this year, and, I mean, a lot of them are lost. Um, there were some I looked for that I couldn't find. I think there's um, the one with the guy uh, with the camera, the Parade of Flowered Automobiles, is the cars coming back, I think, after leaving. Like, it's part of the, part of the title is Return, and so theoretically uh, there would be a departure film i guess um but i i couldn't find it anywhere um well there there was one melier or not melier's uh, lumiere film that i thought was really neat um which was oh my god la poupée act 2 la cure et les et les mannequins ah we, oui. uh, uh, the priest on the mannequins, I believe, would be the English translation. I believe so. Um, and a uh, man talk about robots uh, going amok movie. Yeah. Uh, if 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 you were if you were questioning whether the one from a week or two ago qualified as a, a <laughs> robot going amok movie, this one definitely qualifies. Yeah. Um, it. I mean, what even happens in it? It's like there's there's. There's just a guy who's standing there. Does he even 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 do anything to activate them? He, they just I don't, activate. I don't there's, think. Yeah. There's there's a bunch of automatons <laughs> around him. Automatons just, activate. Yeah. Some of which seem to be real. I think there's like one person. There's one that's like a person doing a repetitive motion. Uh, that's trying to look like a robot. But there's like a robot dog that's barking. Um, and there's a robot little baby that's jumping around um and it's cool to see this other aspect of late 1800s culture of automatons right yeah um that is cool because that isn't really a thing that exists anymore like that isn't like an attraction um of just sort of like simplistic like robots that have a a task they that they can perform Mm -hmm. unless you go to Stu leonard's true (laughs) Um, we can use that as a segue to another sort of aspect of 1890s culture with uh, Alice Guy Blanchet's wonderful absinthe. <laughs> uh, right. Great, great title. <laughs> this movie was like, so it's like a comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, but like the kind of comedy silent film shenanigans were so such comp such complex action that i had to like rewatch it a couple times to figure out exactly what had happened you know 
there's like a guy that sits down at a restaurant, like a fancy guy with a with a top hat, um, and he puts it on the table next to him. And this was the stuff that I had to like go back to like figure out the exact order of events uh, because there's so much chaos he puts that table on the his put he puts his hat down on the table that's next to him and he starts reading from a newspaper and and the the waiter brings him his drink and he's sipping from the drink and then as he's doing that another group of people come and sit down at that table where he put the hat down and so the waiter sees that the hat is in the way of these other people's table and so he moves the guy's hat over to his own table and while the guy is distracted reading the newspaper he pours himself some more absinthe but he pours it into his hat instead of the glass uh, and so then he takes a sip from the glass and it's empty. So he turns around and gets mad at the, uh, at the server and he, he gets all in a huff and he puts his hat on and then a bunch of absinthe spills down onto his head. Um, and he storms away uh, or the, the waiter actually chases him away by spraying, uh, uh, soda onto him. <laughs> And then the the, new, the the second group of people who are at the table, they just ha, 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 point and laugh at this silly man. <laughs> and that, that is wonderful absinthe. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's kind of complex uh, yeah. uh, physical comedy shenanigans, but I, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, it might be the first use of the seltzer bottle as a comedy prop. Classic yeah. <laughs> pressurized uh, soda bottle. Um. I also, I don't know, something just I think is funny about someone making a film a, kind of about absinthe at the, because like 1899, as far as I know, was like peak absinthe drinking time. I don't know. Um, I know it was old timey. I don't know uh, when was the peak. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was something that well, a lot of these sort of have fun little kind of peaks into the contemporary culture from when they were made. Um, which, I mean, there's not really a lot about, like, absinthe drinking in this movie. It could really be any spirit, I think. Um, no green fairy appears at any point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's also funny, the two surviving films by Elise Guy Blanchet from... 1899 are wonderful absinthe and at the club which is another kind of drunken <laughs> drunken fighting movie um i don't know what that says about what what she was up to that year doing a lot of doing a lot of clubbing at all the french absinthe clubs yes and i just verified what you were saying that um that it uh was popular in the late 19th and earliest 20th, 20th century france particularly among artists and writers. Oh, boy. So, Maybe yeah. they were mocking some kind of hoity-toity Parisian uh, writer as this uh, as this guy. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe there was a, a, a spate of, of uh, people pouring absinthe into their hats accidentally at the time. And so it was a very, it was a very uh, topical joke. Um, yeah, ne- I mean, neither of these were really... Uh, like, I feel like some of the other movies that she made in, in previous years were sort of more uh ambitious or or impressive these yeah. were just kind of fun slapsticky drunk movies <laughs> yeah which it would yeah it's it's the kind of slapstick shenanigans stuff is becoming a genre but mm-hmm. i think that 
it's not uh, it's not getting like as well done as something like a Buster Keaton or a Charlie Chaplin to the point where this stuff is interesting. It's all just kind of very little gags and then it's over. Mm. Whereas I think we're finding a lot more interest in where other types of film are going right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely hasn't kind of solidified itself into the kind of, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think of slapstick as kind of the, the primary genre of, like 1920s films uh-huh. but as as we might find out that might not be true that might just be a, a, what we're used to seeing yeah so we'll see i guess um hmm. i also watched some movies from edison this year which were very weird <laughs> um the two things that stuck out to me were a lot of parades and animal cruelty which i i get the sense are just <laughs> things that edison are really into um, that, yeah, I guess that that lines up with what we know about the man. I mean, the the elephant thing he's been acqu- acquitted of, though, right? He wasn't actually involved in that, R- right? Yes. Okay, so I I can't blame him for that, but still. Um, but, but as for being weirdly abusive to bears, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the 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 two I'm talking about are there are two films called Trick Bears and Fun in Camp. Which is the most <laughs> liberal use of fun in camp I have ever heard. Um, trick bears is like children riding around on small bears. Yeah, and some like trained circus style bears doing various walking on their hind legs type right. tricks. Which is not immediate, doesn't immediately strike itself as like horrifying, but if you know much about how like circus animals were treated at the time, it is a bit like. Well, they were probably trained to walk on their hind legs by abuse. So, um, and then we get to see a bit of that with Fun and Camp when right off the bat there's just a guy kicking a bear. Um, and then we see just a very strange footage of bears doing tricks and it's almost like I don't know, if I happened upon that out of context, I would be very suspect. <laughs> I'd be like, what is this weird bear cult shit happening? Um, bear bear cult uh, is midsummer, and we haven't uh, out there yeah. yet. Um, we, um, we got a little time before we get to twenty eighteen. Yeah. Uh, but the the one of the things about Fun Camp is that it is um, a it is meant to be a, a camp in the Spanish American War in a um, like a military camp. Mm. Um, so it's more of the I don't think it's real, but I, I it's more of this kind of faux uh letters from the war you mm-hmm. know that you're getting from Meliers or or whoever yeah um these uh uh attempts at at connecting people to uh current events yeah um another one like that that edison did was admiral dewey landing at gibraltar um mm. which is kind of a cool shot of uh like a boat approaching a dock and the boat starts way off in the background and sort of approaches, gets closer and closer to the foreground until it's in the sort of like bit more of like a medium wide shot of it. Um, Yeah. The cool thing about that one is that there's like, there's like some boat, some little boats in the foreground that are just rocking back and forth as the boat is approaching and it gives it some good depth. Um, Yeah. Just a very well composed shot and like, 
use of uh of like um use of depth but way too long it's like i don't know a minute and a half just a boat coming towards the camera (laughs) (laughs) um yeah overall wasn't too impressed with with edison's uh films from this year nah me either yeah other than that i have a few more sort of assorted films let's hear your assortments uh, so some of the assortment of other films that I, w- I watched or read about, um, two that I read about but could not find, or at least could only find fragments of, were uh, the Jeffrey Sharkey fight, which was another boxing match filmed this yeah. in its entirety. Over two hours long, that one. The second feature film, yeah. quote unquote. <laughs> uh, it is now presumed lost, uh, which is a, a real shame. Uh, I'm not a big fan of these. these <laughs> not really a fan of these. These. It's a, it's a real m- shame. Who? I mean, who cares? But whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a fan of these multi-hour uh, boxing films. But you know, there's they're they're no Cinderella man. Let me tell you. No. Um. <laughs> uh, the first known Shakespeare film, King John. Uh, yep. Which only a few parts survive. Um, it was directed by W.K. Dixon, who is is a, a guy we've talked about, a notable yep. American filmmaker. Back, uh, well, no, he's I think he's Scottish. Oh, is he? Yeah. He was making films in. Yeah, in, I think uh, he moved to America and States. started working with Edison, mm-hmm. and then he moved back to England to form the Mutoscope and Biograph Company. Oh, interesting. See, you've you've done the reading. I clearly haven't. <laughs> um. The few parts of it that I was able to watch do feel very much like kind of Shakespeare on stage that happens to be filmed. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it literally was. They were filming a practice of a of a Shakespeare play that or a Shakespeare, mm. Shakespeare production that was about to start um, in London. That segues nicely into um, another film, uh, Maple Leaf Viewing, or yeah. Um, Mom- Momiji Gari. Momiji Gari. Thank you for yeah. giving me the correct pronunciation. Oh, yeah. You give me the cultured French pronunciations, and I'll give you the weeaboo pronunciations. I'm, I'm giving the very uncultured French pronunciations. <laughs> I'm giving you the cartoon voice French pronunciations of everything. Um, but this is the the earliest surviving Japanese film, which is pretty yep. rad. Um, unlike the Lumiere films, which is French movies shot in Japan. Um and it is a film of kabuki theater which is also pretty cool uh there's some wig fighting i don't really know yeah. how to describe it that was kind of that was pretty neat yeah it's um uh it's it's a couple scenes so it has cuts uh it's not the earliest japanese film but it's the earliest surviving one mm-hmm. so it, it, they they w- learned about at by this point how to uh, have multiple scenes with with cuts in between. Um, there are title cards um, describing what uh, describing what it, it's uh, what the narrative is, um, and so there's yeah, it's an adaptation of a play. There's a woman uh, who is uh, setting up a banquet for for maple leaf viewing, but what you see in the movie is just her dancing around, and then. Uh, in the story, there's a, a samurai who passes by, and 
she convinces him to get drunk. He falls asleep, and then it turns out the woman is a demon who attacks him. Uh, with and hair. So, with hair. So with, like, long hair. And, uh, yeah, it's like swinging giant locks around in combat with a sword. Honestly, like, there's something about this action that felt very reminiscent of a lot of Japanese action just from even now there's something about Mm. the way that it was presented the way that there were pauses as they kind of like stared at each other as the samurai moved back and I think just like the the choreography of it there was something that I felt like evoked all sorts of Japanese cinema that I've seen from like Kurosawa to anime to all that other kind of stuff and so it's interesting that like since this was an adaptation of a no slash kabuki play um that like maybe that idea that japanese idea of what combat was supposed to look like was already extant before they even started filming combat um yeah i mean i don't know that that would make sense to me that that kind of uh very kind of particular sense of timing and pacing with fight scenes uh, could have originated through Kabuki theater or through um, that kind of stage fighting. Um, yeah, I don't know. That is a, a very interesting question to be posed, though. That's my that's my take. That's um, my... <laughs> I think this is, as far as I can tell, maybe the first movie that was... Well, it wasn't... One notable thing is it wasn't intended to really be exhibited as a film it was intended only to be kind of a record of this performance oh really um but one of the uh one of the two actors who were i do not know if i wrote down their names unfortunately um it starred two very well-known famous uh kabuki theater actors um and one of them uh became gravely ill and uh, could not perform, and so they showed this film in its place. What? Um, wow! So it was shown in like a big, like a proper uh, theater, also, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's as far as I can tell, maybe the first movie that was sort of, um, it, maybe not marketed is the wrong word, but like that was sort of built on the fame of its actors more than anything else. Oh, interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of these other movies, the draw is really sort of the kind of like the effects of them or the, the underlying story. They're adaptations of, of literature or plays. Um, so is this, but it's like these are very famous, well-known actors. And it's also, I think, the first movie that has on-screen credits. Um, in, the title, huh. in the title cards at the beginning, at least the version I watched had, you know, old title cards that included um, credits for the two actors. Oh, I I just saw a title card in Japanese, so I didn't know. I okay, didn't mine mine had turned into my brain. Mine had uh, uh, English translations at the bottom. Um, so yeah, I I mean I don't know if it is actually the first time that of like filmic celebrity culture. Yeah, I like. But it's it's the first time I've sort of noticed it or I've been like, oh, like, this is a thing where the actors are really kind of the main draw. 
Yeah. Um, I guess a couple other spare things are upside down or the human flies. Yeah. Didn't didn't care for that one. You didn't care for that one? No. <laughs> it's funny how we've gotten to a point now where like Melies is making really impressive movies. Yeah. And like you know, there's like a couple people. There's like Melies, Guy Blanchet, and um, uh, George Albert Smith. George Albert Smith, who are like just making bangers one after another, like just always making good stuff. And yeah. so now I'm watching some of the other, some of the things that other people are making and they're not good. Like <laughs> I'm really not impressed with some of the other things that are coming out, like upside down or the human flies, which is the whole title. It isn't like two separate, you know, it's a, it's kind of a Dr. Strange love situation. Um, <laughs> is, I, it's just, it's just abject nonsense. <laughs> wow, this is our first like like negative review yeah. here on the on the show. <laughs> I know. It, 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 I think this is the first year I've watched that, and I'm just like, no, not for me. <laughs> I I I thought it was fun. I mean, it's like a simple trick film. It doesn't really do much innovative, except it does have a new trick of. Um, uh, there's there's a guy doing magicians for some uh, there's a magician doing some stuff for uh, people in a party and there's some kind of common tricks that you would see uh, like a thing on a wire or a substitution splice but then there's a point where he flips gravity upside down <laughs> right. not the room itself but gravity and uh, uh, so the the I suppose the camera is upside down. Um, I think they they must have, uh, at the very least, just turned the ba- the backdrop upside down as well, because the room appears yeah. to stay stationary, but the actors yeah. appear to to be upside down on the ceiling. And then, uh, and then this might be getting to some of the nonsense that you say is that uh, so all the all the patrons of the magic show are now on the ceiling, and they just do some kind of dances on the they ceiling. They just do a bunch of somersaults and stuff. Yeah, um, so, yeah I don't know why they're doing these somersaults, but they're just kind of having a little party on the ceiling <laughs> yeah and it's yeah i don't know i wasn't i wasn't feeling that one um uh there was uh this one uh, there's like three titles that i've heard associated with this film ladies skirts nailed to a fence yeah women's rights and gossips and eavesdroppers which is the only one that really makes sense to me i guess the skirts nailed to a fence is also pretty descriptive um which is another uh, Bamforth film, he of uh, of little originality. Um, <laughs> this was another one that I didn't think was very good. I think it's more interesting to talk about though. Um, it's it's some some ladies gossiping, I guess, behind a fence, yeah. and then some rascals come around to the other side of the fence and nail their skirts to the fence, and then the ladies try to run away. And they can't because they're nailed to the fence. Um, it does what it says on the tin. Exactly. Um, back when they actually had a tin. Um, True. But it's interesting in that it uh, there's only there's a single set, and there's no cuts. And the way they try to get around the fact there are no cuts is they have the well, they have the actors move to the other side of the fence. To show yeah there there is a cut 
but it's the, the camera doesn't move. Right. And the set doesn't yes. move. And so it's actually Only a little visually move. confusing what's happening until you realize that, like, so the the ladies are on the near side of the fence, and then all of a sudden they're on the far side of the fence, but, like, nothing has shifted. The fence is asymmetrical, so yeah. it's very clear that they have just moved to the other side rather than the camera moving to the other side, which is the implication. Um, and then the rascals come up, do nail their skirts to the fence, and then it flips back again with their skirts nailed to the fence. Um, I actually didn't even realize that was what the intended effect was supposed to be until I read about, until I read more about this film. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I see what they were trying to do there. Right. But it was done so poorly that I, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even get that. Up your game, James Banfirth. Really? Up your game. Really? Um. So, uh, you, I don't know if you saw the 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 reason why it's called women's rights. There are um, there's some like ancillary materials um, that that was that were released with the film that was describing what the women were gossiping about, and they were and and according to this, they were gossiping about women's rights, um, which uh, was sort of becoming a, a, a thing. Uh, the the so I, I saw that Emmeline Pankhurst would found the first suffragette uh, the, the first suffragette movement in four years like four years later to address women's growing grievances partially particularly in being denied the vote women voting um, not in this century yeah so uh, the implication here uh, to to throw even more shade <laughs> at this guy is is that uh is not just a simple prank but is like a retributive uh uh a retributive thing for these women discussing women's rights and right. so they deserve to have their skirts nailed to a fence not only is it poorly made it's also gross <laughs> uh yeah we're not fans of Bamforth here on this podcast Nope. This is the this is the year where we come come we take the gloves off. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, some other fun fun ones were uh, in the grip of the blizzard, which mm-hmm. was uh, footage of the aforementioned from the news segment um, blizzard, I suppose, uh, in New York City. Uh, I think specifically Union Square. Um, it is oh. the. F- I believe the first time I have really noticed a like panning camera. Yeah, so I found I actually found a, a pan from New that's also shot in New York from 1897. Okay, uh, I was going to mention that, but um, yeah, is this is definitely um, uh, the other one was a pan back and forth, and this one goes like 360 degrees around an axis. Right, which is just very gets the cool. the entire scene. Yeah. yeah. So you see a lot of old-timey New York in one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another similar film, which is Panorama from the Tower of the Br- Brooklyn Bridge, mm-hmm. um, which gives a, a nice a nice sort of view of, uh, I mean, what you can see. It's a pretty degraded film at this point. But, yeah. Um, what you can see is a cool sort of look into old-timey New York skyline. 
Um, those are, those are both from the American Mutoscope and Biograph Company too. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that about wraps it up then. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to introduce to the podcast is at the end, uh, at least we should try to kind of come up with what our favorite film for the year is. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure mine was Cinderella, the the Melies Cinderella. Hmm. I would pick Cinderella if I weren't ruined because the Flickr Alley <laughs> uh, collection just threw the 1912 Cinderella at me and made me think that it was the, 19, the 1899 one. And so when I watched the 1899 one, I was less impressed in comparison. Ah, so terrible. <laughs> which is unfair, but I'd say that the Dreyfus Affair is probably my favorite. Mm, yeah, I, I feel like it's it's quite ambitious in a different way, and it's something so new. Here. Yeah, uh, definitely a, a close second, I think, mm-hmm. for me. Melier's killing it once again. Yeah, can't be stopped. Well, uh, I suppose that's all for this week. Uh, we'll see you all in the next century. Ooh. 1900. Wonder what's coming coming for us that, that year. Uh, you can uh, find all of our stuff at... Uh, well, we don't really have a website, per se. Uh, no. Linktree, if you're familiar. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. Slash one W one Y. That's that just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Gross. <laughs> you know what? Uh, what do I have to make a website now? Ugh. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Oh no, not yet. Spon- sponsor um, us, Squarespace. <laughs> for our for our sixteen listeners. Stamps dot com. Um. Triquip dot com. We have a YouTube page uh, where I am putting all of the playlists of the... Man, I should really mention this at the top of the show. Um, uh, we have a YouTube page where I'm putting uh, playlists of all of the movies that we watch. And then hopefully in the near future, what I'll be doing is importing these podcasts into Af- into um, uh, Premiere and just like putting the movies... Looping uh, over while we're talking, I think that might that, be fun. That and would be fun. relatively low effort. Um, yeah. uh, and since they're silent, easy that works. Yeah, they're silent and copyright we, free, so we, we can do we whatever can, we want. We can with get them. away with it for at least a little while until 1924. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, check out our YouTube page. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes. Uh, actually, there will be a link to all of our stuff in the show notes. Click the show notes. Why am I even saying this? Uh, there's a Twitter. We haven't done anything with it yet. I don't know, Glenn. You want to be Twitter, Twitter Lord? We'll see. Um, uh, and anyway, uh, I'll see y'all next week. I'll see you next week, Glenn. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> see you next week. Bye. Okay, I'm going to start recording.
Okay. Me too. Monitor my levels. Hold on. What do you need, Jonathan? For just a bit. Starbucks order. Oh. Um, I don't need anything. It's fine. Christopher will have a black tea lemonade. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 